Well, good morning to each and every one of you. It's so good to see each and every one of you here on site. And a shout-out welcome to those of you who have joined us online from the city of Ottawa, across the nation of Canada, and globally around the world. How many of you wonderful people are now ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? Well, we are in a seven-part sermon series that we're calling it Stronger. And uh, there are digital notes on the website. You can go right to that. Boys and girls, I am so thrilled to see you in the auditorium. And you probably picked up a worksheet when you came in. Can we just applaud all the boys and girls and thank them for being a part of the service today? We're calling the seven-part sermon series Stronger. And we're exploring the armor of God. And we're learning that God wants us to be spiritually booted and suited. To, to stand against the attacks of the enemy. In message number one, we talked about the belt of truth. In message number two, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. In message number three, we talked about the shoes of peace. And then in message number four, we talked about the shield of faith. And uh, today we are going to explore, we talked about the helmet of salvation after that, and today we're going to explore the sword of the Spirit. And I want to take you this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, in the 17th verse, Paul is chained to a Roman centurion guard. And he looks at the armor that he was wearing in the physical realm, and he gives a spiritual application to it. And here in verse 17, he says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And for just a couple of moments this morning, I want to give you 10 things about the sword of the Spirit. And the first thing that I want to share with you, number one, I want you to write this in your notes, that the sword that Paul was referring to here, it's not the long sword, it's the short sword. There are two words in the New Testament for sword, and the word that Paul uses here is not the, referring to the long sword, it's the short sword. And the Romans called it the gladius. Remember the gladiators? And he, the Romans would call the short sword the gladius. And it was the soldier's principal weapon used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So the long sword would be like this. I mean, that's a really big sword, isn't it? That's not what Paul is referring to here. I mean, not the big, long, huge sword. No, he's referring to the short sword, which is about maybe a couple of feet in length, and he would have it in, 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 in something here that he would put it in, and if he was right-handed and he's in a short hand-to-hand -hand combat, he could just pull it out and be ready for battle. And uh, if he was left-handed, he'd put it over here and he'd pull it out like this. So Paul is not referring to the long sword. Paul is referring to the short sword that's used in hand-to-hand -hand combat, and the Romans would call it the gladius. So that's the first thing I want you to see. Now, there's several scriptures that talk about the short sword, not just Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 51, Remember when Jesus was being arrested? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus. And remember, Peter pulls out the sword, the short sword, and he cuts off Malchus' ear. It says in Matthew 26, 51, with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, the short sword. He drew it out, and he struck the servant of the, the high priest, cutting off his ear. That's the verse that talks about the short sword. 
Another time it's mentioned is Acts chapter 12, verse 1, and in verse 2. And this talks about where King Herod arranged for James to be martyred. It says it's about the same time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So there you have two examples of the short sword being used. And it's important we understand, number one, Paul's not talking about the long sword. He's talking about the short sword. And the Romans would call it the gladius. Number two, a sword is important because it's not just a defensive weapon. It is an offensive weapon. I mean, we talked about the, the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about the, the helmet of salvation. We talked about the, the shield of faith. And all of those weapons were defensive. But the sword, friends, is unique. That it's not just to defend. It is meant to be offensive. And this morning, we're going to learn that the sword in the natural, in the spiritual, is meant to be an offensive weapon that we're to use to combat the attacks of the enemy. It is not just a defensive weapon. It is an offensive weapon. It's like we're going into the enemy's territory. I was thinking back to the early 1990s, and some of you weren't born, boys and girls, in the 1990s, or some of our youth and young adults and young marrieds weren't born in the, in the 1990s. But there was a song way back we used to say, I went to the enemy's camp. Do you remember that song? And I took back what he stole from me. Anybody remember that song? I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. But we talked about going into the enemy's camp and taking back what the enemy stole from me. And then we'd start singing, he's under my feet. And I can remember when Evelyn and I were pastoring in the greater Toronto area, that small little auditorium would be jam-packed with 500 people, and they'd be lifting their voice singing, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And they'd start He's under my feet, and I'll tell you, 500 people jumping up and down. You'd go in the basement of the church, and you would see the floor going like this. But how many people know we can go into the enemy's camp spiritually, amen? And we can take back what the enemy stole from us, amen? And he, that enemy, is under our feet. Anybody with me this morning, amen? And so we're going to learn today that the physical sword was the short sword, but the Word of God is an offensive weapon that we can use to take back what the enemy has stole from us. Let me give you some verses. I want to give you Psalm 149, verse 6. Hold on to this verse, because we're going to come back to it at the end of the service. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. Amen. Isaiah 49, verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Listen to Ezekiel 21, verse 9. Ezekiel said, son of man, or God said to him, son of man, prophesy and say, this is what the Lord says, a sword, a sword, sharpened and polished. Let me give you a New Testament verse, James 4, verse 7, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what have we just learned? The sword is not just a defensive weapon, like the breastplate of righteousness or the shield of faith. It's an offensive weapon. And we want to go into the enemy's territory and take back what the enemy has stolen from us. The third thing I want to share with you, number three, is that the Bible, the Word of God, 
is our spiritual sword. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. And the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now let me give you some verses here. Ephesians 6.17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul made it clear that the sword that he's referring to in the natural, spiritually, it's the Word of God. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16-17, all Scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word work. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is useful. 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets who humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I've learned that when the Bible was written, God spoke, writers wrote. God inspired the writers, and they wrote the books that we read in the Bible. He didn't violate their personality. I mean, when you read Paul's writings, and Paul wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, you see his style there in the New Testament. I mean, when I read the book of Isaiah, it's different than Jeremiah, but Isaiah is inspired, Jeremiah is inspired, all Scripture is God-breathed, God spoke, and the writers wrote. Anybody this morning grateful for the Word of God? Come on, anybody this morning grateful for the Word of God? So number three, the Bible is your spiritual sword. Then there's number four. It's really important that we understand and we know that it is the spirit sword. That's what the Bible says. The sword, not of Mark, but the sword of the spirit. It's the spirit sword, not your sword. It's like the spirit, the spirit supplied the sword. And we're going to learn this morning that the spirit has a lot to do, Holy Spirit has a lot to do with the Word of God being used in your life. And I want to note it, that it's the Spirit's sword. It's not your sword. The Spirit sword is supplied to you. It's like Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give this sword, which is mine, to you. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I want us to understand that it's the Spirit's sword. It's not your sword. Now, I'm going to take you to some teaching in a couple of moments, and I'm going to bring it together, and I think it's going to make sense. So let me take you to number four, and number, or sorry, number five and number six. And we're going to learn in number five and in number six in our notes that there's four different kinds of word mentioned in the Bible. There's four different words for word. Because our scripture says, take up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Now, I want everybody from youngest to eldest to lift your voice and say, Word. One, two, three, Word. Let's say it again. One, two, three, Word. There's four words in the Bible for Word. Look at number five in your notes. There's the spoken, creative Word of God. I'll explain that in a moment. The spoken, creative Word of God. I'm going to read Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3. And then there's the living Word of God, which is Jesus. We're going to read here in just a moment the spoken, creative Word, 
and then we're going to read the living word, which is Jesus. Now look at Genesis 1, verse 1 to verse 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, God spoke, God gave a word, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it was created. How many people are grateful for the creative word of God? God speaks, and God creates. That's the spoken, creative word of God. Let me take you to John chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 14, which talks about the living word of God, which is Jesus. And in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's that referring to? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus with me. One, two, three. Jesus. Jesus is the living Word. Come to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So what we have just learned, first of all, there's the creative spoken Word of God, And then number two, there's the living word of God, the spoken creative word, the living word, which is Jesus. Now, let me take you to number six. These are the final two uses of word. There is also the written, recorded word of God. We're going to read that in 2 Timothy 3.16. And then there's the rhema, which is a specific word of God. So what do we learn? I'll explain this in a moment. We've learned that there is the creative spoken word, and we've learned that there is the living word. And now we're learning that there is the written, recorded word, and there is the rhema word. So let me read to you, if I could, for a moment, 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to read it again, because Paul in 2 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, talks about the written recorded word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So let me recap. The creative word of God, the creative spoken word of God, the living word of God, which is Jesus, and then here we've just read about the written recorded word of God. That's our Bible. Anybody again glad for the written recorded word of God? Come on, anybody glad for the written recorded word of God? Now, rhema is the final word that is used. And I want to point out to you that rhema is the word for word (laughs) that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Now put Ephesians 6, 17 on the screen. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He didn't use the word for the creative spoken word. No. He didn't use the word For the living word, no. He didn't use the word for the recorded written words because the recorded written word is the entire word of God, Genesis to Revelation. He used the Greek word rhema, which refers to a specific word or a specific utterance. Stay with me. I find it's interesting that Paul didn't use the Greek word for a large sword, remember? He used the Greek word for a short sword. And rhema makes reference to a specific chosen utterance or word from the written words. 
It is a short word from the whole word. It is a specific word for a specific situation. I'm going to bring this together in a few minutes. Because rhema is not a long word. Rhema is a specific word for a specific situation that God gives you to offensively deal with the circumstance that you are facing. Are you tracking with me? Now, I'm going to bring this together. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you receive the living word of Jesus in your life. Somebody say amen to that. Isn't that great? Come on. Anybody glad? When you accept Christ, you receive the living word of Jesus in your life. And then as you become a follower of Jesus, you begin to delve into the written words of God. How many people are glad for the written word of God when you become a follower of Jesus? You start to delve into the written, recorded word of God. Now here's what happens because it is the sword of the Spirit. Because it's the sword of the Spirit. I want you to write number seven in your notes. I'm going to bring it together. The Holy Spirit will quicken a Raymond word for a specific situation in your life. So let me bring it together. When you get saved, you get the living word Jesus in your life. And then as a follower of Jesus, you begin to read the recorded written word of Jesus. The recorded written word of God. And when you're up against a circumstance, Holy Spirit will quicken a rhema word, a specific word, a shorter word, a God word for the situation that you're up against. And then when he gives you the rhema word, what you need to do is speak the word because there's power in the word. Hear me, church. The devil is not afraid of your words, but the devil is afraid of the word of God. Are you with me today? Satan is not spooked out. Satan is not afraid of. Satan is not nervous with your words. But I'll tell you, the greatest offensive weapon is the word of the living God. So when you got the living word, Jesus, in you, and you begin to delve into the recorded written words, and the Holy Spirit who's in you is going to quicken a rhema word, which is a specific word, which is a God word for the moment that you are facing, and then you're going to speak the word. I'll tell you, friends, you're going into the enemy's territory, and Satan hates the word of God because God's word is powerful. Doesn't that make sense? I wanted to bring those four words together. Now, number seven, the Holy Spirit wants to quicken a rhema word for a specific situation. Let me give you some scripture. John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Holy Spirit will remind you of the word and make it a rhema word for the crisis that you're up against. Let me show you something. Let me take you to Matthew 4, 3, down to verse 11. Jesus is now in the wilderness for 40 days. That's the temptation. And he'd been fasting and praying for 40 days. Pick it up in verse 3. The tempter came to him. Who's the tempter? Satan. Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him. Satan comes to you and tempts you. And Satan said, Satan spoke, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
So how did Jesus respond? He responded with the word of God. He said, it is written. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now look at the word, word, in verse number 4. Because the word, word, used in verse number 4, is not the living word. It's not the recorded written word. It is not the spoken word. It is the rhema word. The Greek word used here is rhema. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. He defeated Satan with the rhema word of God. He did not quote Genesis to Revelation. He quoted one specific verse for one specific situation. There is a verse in the Bible for every crisis that you face. Are you with me today? And you've got to speak the rhema word against the crisis that you are up against. Now look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And then he says, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so you not strike your foot against a stone. Satan quoted Psalm 91, verse 11, down to verse 12. Now hear me. Satan probably knows the Scripture better than most Christians. Satan knows the Word more than most Christians, so much so that he will slightly twist the Word. And here he misquotes Psalm 91. He almost gives it in its fullness, but he twists the word just a little bit, trying to get Jesus to believe the word that he's quoting from Psalm 91. Look at verse 7. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And he speaks the word of God, and the true word of God pushes against the twisted word of the enemy. Are you following me this morning? Come down to verse number 8. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, their splendor. All this I will give you. He said, if you just bow down and you worship me. And Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan, for it is written... It is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And you know what happened? Look at verse 11, the devil left him. I'll tell you, when the devil leaves you is when you speak the word of God to your crisis, to your situation. When you speak the rhema word of God to your specific crisis. Then we see in Luke 4, verse 13, which gives us another right up on the temptations when the devil had finished all this tempting he left them until an opportune time what did jesus teach us here he teaches us the power of the rhema word for the crisis that you're up against let me say it again the devil's not afraid of your words but the devil will flee from the word of god come on give a little clap offering of praise to the lord Number eight, the sword protects you. That little sword that he's referring to, 
The sword protects you as it works as a sword on you and as a sword for you. So the little sword that he's referring to can be used defensively and offensively, but God also uses the word of God to work on us. Let me read to you a verse that I love, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive. Come on, how many people are glad that God's word brings life? It's not dead, it is alive. And it's active, which means it's not passive, which means it's not dormant, which means there's action that follows when the living word is spoken. Oh, let that sink in. Action follows when the living word is spoken. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Every Roman soldier would sharpen his sword every single day. And Paul says, Hebrews, the writer says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. He says it's so sharp that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. As the word of God works for you, God wants to use the word to work in you and convict you. I don't know about you, but almost every time, in fact, every time I read the word of God, Holy Spirit convicts me. I don't want you to have a seared heart or spirit, or mind. I want the Word of God to convict you every time that you hear it. Can I hear a little amen in the house today? Can I hear a little amen in the house today? God wants to use the Word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word is like a sword. It works on you and for you. Let me quickly read Hebrews 5, verse 12, down to chapter 6, verse 1. The writer says, in fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. He's writing to the believers. He's saying, come on, people, you, 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 you should be growing in your walk with God, but you, you're just kind of like you're still a baby. You, you still need that formula. You still need that milk. You should be into solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Wow. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If you want to distinguish good from evil, train yourself in the word of God and ask Holy Spirit to quicken the word so that you can discern good from evil. I'm just being honest. I am so, I almost said marveled, but it's the wrong word. I'm so disappointed I'm so alarmed when I see believers who have been believers for years who will willingly continue to walk in a sin that is so clearly against the word of God and shrug their shoulders like, what's the big deal? I'm here to say to the house today, let's not just drink milk spiritually. Let's get into the solid food of God's word. And let's let the word of God convict our hearts so that we will walk in a life that wants to bring honor to him in every single area of our life. Somebody risk a little amen today. So we got a verse six, move on beyond the elementary teaching about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Let me take you to number nine. 
Memorizing specific Bible verses sharpens your spiritual sword. And I started to smile because some of you remember the days when we were in children's ministries back in the early 70s, we had what we called sword drills. Anybody remember sword drills? And we'd be sitting on a chair, and the leader of the kids' group would say, close your Bible, put it on your lap, and he'd say something like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, repeat. And I'd say with all my friends, Ephesians 6, verse 17. Then he'd say, charge. And the first person who could find the scripture and stand to their feet and read it, one. Anybody remember those days? I remember that. Those were sword drills. Now, memorizing specific Bible verses sharpens your spiritual sword. The second story is I remember years ago, we brought someone in to speak to our 50-plus group, and this person was dressed, I think, like a Roman centurion, and they quoted the entire book of James, every chapter, every verse, in order. And I'm like, whoa, the dude just quoted the entire book of James from top to bottom. Some of you are like, I can quote a verse. And you're going to go, yeah, I know a verse. Jesus wept. Okay, good for you. You know, I'll tell you, memorizing, memorizing specific Bible verses sharpens your spiritual sword. So let's be honest. Very few of us will have the ability to memorize an entire book of the Bible. Anybody willing to admit that? I'm willing to admit that. Uh, I, I, I mean, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew children would literally memorize the, 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 the Pentateuch. They, they would do it. So maybe we need to get better at memorizing God's Word, and maybe we need to strive to become like the guy who memorized the entire book of James. But let me give you a nugget of truth that you could really hold on to. If your battle in life is worry, and Satan is coming at you with a sword and trying to get you to worry, if I were you, I would memorize every verse in the Bible that speaks about not worrying and speaks about trusting, and speaks about peace. So every time the devil throws worry at you, you speak out the rhema word about peace in God's word that's against worry. Whatever you battle, whatever the enemy fights against you, spend lots of time memorizing scripture that addresses the challenge that you're up against. So when Evelyn was walking through cancer, we memorized Psalm 91, and we would speak Psalm 91. We memorized all the healing verses, and we would speak out loud the healing verses. Mark and Evelyn, who've got the living word in their life, Jesus, who have read, read the recorded written word of God front to back many times, have asked Holy Spirit to give us a rhema word for what we're up against, and then we speak out the word that addresses the crisis that we're up against. Why? There's no power in my words, but I'll tell you, there's power in the Word of God because God's Word says His Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is not passive, it's active, it's not dead, and it's alive. So how do you sharpen the Word in your life? Is by memorizing the Word of God and then Holy Spirit will quicken the word for a specific situation. Someone say a little amen today. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. Give a little clap offering of praise to the Lord. It's okay. 
I'm going to read to you quickly Deuteronomy 11:18, Joshua, Psalm, and then Colossians. Deuteronomy 11:18. fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Joshua 1:8. keep this book of the law always on your lips. Not just in your heart, but on your lips. Don't just read the word. Don't just know the word. Speak the word. Keep it on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I want to give you number 10, and I want the band to come on up right now if you would. Come on up, band. And number 10, I'm just going to wrap this message together. Spiritual warfare strategy. This is what I do all the time. All the time. And there's three words, diagnosis, prognosis, and prescription. Diagnosis is what is the enemy trying to do? And so lately, the enemy's been trying to get me to be fearful and to get me to worry. And so what have I been doing? I've been taking out the short sword, and I've been looking into the written words, and I've been, I've been studying all the verses in the Bible about worry and all the verses about fear. And anytime worry and fear starts to attack my mind, I just speak out the word of God. And I'll tell you what the devil does. He runs as fast and furious away from this child of God. Not because he's afraid of my word, but he's afraid of the word of the living God. So the first thing I do is diagnosis. What is the enemy trying to do? Prognosis. What is God wanting to do? He wants me to learn the specific word and take the written word and use it as a spoken word because which, 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 there's power in the word of God. And prescription, what can you now do? I'm calling the house today to get into the written word of the living God and memorize the verses that are pertinent to what you're walking through, and when the enemy comes against you, you stand with boldness on the living Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. Somebody say amen. There's power. There's power in the Word of God. I want you to get on your feet right now, and I want to take you back to a verse that I invited you to hold on to, Psalm 149, verse 6. Psalm 149, verse 6, may the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. The psalmist was calling the, the Old Testament people to let God's praise be in their mouths and let there be a double-edged sword in their hand. So if you've got your Bible with you today, whether it's the leather bound or whether you've got it on your iPad or on your phone, it's okay this morning. You hold on to that and just think when you're holding on to that phone, you're holding on to the Word of God. How many people know there's power? Come on, how many people know there's power? How many people know there's power? There's power. There's power. There's power. There's power. There's power in the Word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I'm calling the house to let praise be in your mouth and let there be a double-edged sword in your hand. So, Pastor, come on up, my friend. We can't sing, but you can sing. And, but we're going to worship for a few moments. So hold the word up right now. And hold the word up right now. There's power, 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 power in the word. Pastor Brad, I want you to sing to the Lord. Let's worship him for a few final moments. Oh, sing a louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. 
grateful. How many people are grateful for the power that's found in the Word of the living God? I'm calling you and I'm inviting you to get back to memorizing God's Word. It might be too big of a deal for some of us to memorize the entire book of James, like that man who came here and spoke all of the book of James. But start memorizing specific words for what the enemy is throwing against you. Because there's not power in your word, but there's power in the word of God. How do you resist the devil and he flees? Is when you've got the living word in your life and you've been delving into the written recorded word and you allow Holy Spirit to give you a rhema word and then you speak the rhema word. I'll tell you, the enemy's going to run away from you as fast as you can. And just like the Roman soldiers would take the short sword, and they would use it not just to defend, but they would use it offensively. And they would go into the enemy's territory. We're going we're gonna to go into the enemy's territory. We're going to take back what the enemy has stolen from us. For some of you, the devil has stolen your joy. I want you to get into the enemy's territory with the Word of God and get your joy back in the name of Jesus. For some of you, the devil has taken your peace. I want you to get into the enemy's territory and I want you to get that peace back because he's under your feet. Satan's not afraid of your words, but he's petrified of the word of the living God. Come on, give a clap offering of praise to the Lord God Almighty. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and in these final moments, whether you're here on site in this auditorium or you're watching online, I have a question for you. If today was the day that you died, and you stepped into eternity. Do you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven? Have you personally asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? I don't want you to think you're going to heaven. I want you to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're ready for heaven. God so loved the world that He sent His Son Jesus for you. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. My friend, the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You have to just accept and invite Jesus in your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And confess Him as your Lord and your Savior. As I stand on this platform today, if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And if you're watching online and you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer. We're going to join you. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus. I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I have decided to follow Jesus. Today, I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to open your eyes and I want you to celebrate right now salvation. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you're here in the auditorium, on your way out this morning, go to one of the tables that are outside. And there'll be some wonderful people there. We have a Bible for you. It's free. And some people say, man, that's a big book. Where should I start reading? Go to the Gospel of John. It's a great start. Come to Alpha. Let's, we want to help you in your new walk, your new journey. We want to get you in our follow class. We're going to help you. We've got a little booklet for you and a Bible for you. Drop by. And if you're our guest, drop by the guest lounge. We've got a, a coffee card for you to a local, local coffee place. But today, I'm excited to tell you, before we close, 
that we are going to start something back on Sundays, and it's called Opening Up the Altar for Prayer Ministry. And you're going to notice at the front that we've got some bright pink lines, and we've got some blue lines. And I want the altar workers, the pastors that have been designated to help this morning, come to one of the blue lines right now. Make yourself ready. And if you're here today and you'd like someone to pray for you, whatever you're going through, it's, it's going to be a touchless moment from a human standpoint because we've created a, a human touchless service. But from a God moment, we want this to be a supernatural God touch moment. Amen. So even though they can't place hands on your shoulders, they'll be six feet apart. They're wearing a mask. And after the service comes to a close and people have exited the auditorium, you can just stay in your pew. And once people have exited, you can come to the front and stand on one of these pink lines. And these altar workers are going to pray for you because we believe in the power of prayer. Amen? And so if you'd like prayer, just after we dismiss, just take a seat and wait. And when the auditorium is, is empty, just come to the front and these wonderful pastors will be glad to pray for you because we know prayer makes the difference. So let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for our time today. It's exciting, Lord, to see so many people here in this nine o'clock service. I thank you, God, for this sermon series that we've been delving into. And today, I pray, God, that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't just hear this message. I pray, God, from children all the way up to adults, from youngest to eldest, that we would apply this scripture and live it out in our lives. Thank you, God, for this great church. And I pray blessing on everyone today. Thank you, Lord, for those that accepted you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, God, for those that will choose to come to this altar, maybe for healing in their body, maybe for peace, maybe to be set free from fear, maybe because they need a breakthrough in finances, maybe because they need a, a miracle in their home. Whatever the need is, would you be the God that meets their need? Would you be the God that would remove that mountain? I pray, God, as a church, that we would get into the enemy's territory and take back what the enemy has stolen from us and that we would live out the power of your word. So thank you, God, for this great church. Give us a great day and give us a great week. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate our Lord God. Amen.